You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. The Running Public is brought to you exclusively by VJ Shoes. My ratio of choice, Kirk's ratio of choice. If you're heading off trail, this is the shoe you want on your foot. That's right. You know what I like about my VJ Shoes, Bracken? Preach at me, Kirk. Nothing locks my foot in better than my VJ Shoes. For technical terrain, muddy terrain, steep ascents or descents, my foot is secure. I trust my grip. There's no other shoe to go with. Best grip on the planet. Get yourself some. Dude, it's been like melting and freezing here in Minnesota. So the cross-country ski trails are like ice. And I'm not talented enough to navigate that perfectly. You don't have the ski handling yet? No. Today, I uh, I was going really fast trying to like stay with a guy. And I was doing a good job of it. In fact, I was going to pass him. And I'm so new to it. I'm proud of you. Hold on. But I'm so new to it that I stuck my own pole into my ski instead of the snow next to my ski. And I almost did a full somersault right next to the guy. And he looked at me and shook his head like you, rookie. Did you I know? Like a, no, I felt oh, like a huge just, idiot. You're I'm just in my like from stranger. Yeah, I'm in like my spandex gear and like I look the part, and then I just go like. <laughs> it's embarrassing. But, Is it branded spandex? Is your name on it anywhere? Uh, no, but two uh, XU is is on it, which is I guess in the ski world, there's a lot of people that run around wearing that stuff. So they'd probably call it two times you. Oh yeah, two times you. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not in touch with how to pronounce that. I guess. So Hobie, not uh, you've been removed for a little while from the sport. We'll say. So I don't know if the listeners will necessarily know who you are. So, who are you, Hobie? Call. <laughs> well, in the world of obstacle racing, I guess. Uh, I guess my claim to fame is I was. I was the first. I guess first person to come in and say this is an actual race. I'm going to take it serious and. And so I'm the one that got all that started, I guess. What year was that that you first uh, entered uh, the sport? The beginning of 2011. Their Spartan races first race in 2011. That's when I started. Wow. What was that location? That was in Temecula. Temecula. Yep. That's I like a difficult that course. course. It is. Yeah, it was, it was pretty hilly, but, but it was my kind of hills. At least you can see the trail in front of you. You're not just bushwhacking it, so... I enjoyed was it. that the was that the course? I think my first Spartan Race YouTube video I watched, and you guys like drug like a cinder block through a lake, and you still had like the ski ergs in the race. Was that Temecula? Does that ring a bell? Yeah, yeah, we had to drag cinder block. It's funny. The second year, <clears throat> actually, funny story. I dragging that cinder block. They made us drag it around a, a big rock that was in the water. <clears throat> but nobody wanted to go and test it, so I was their tester because I got there first. <laughs> Turns out the water was about a little over my head, and I'm trying to drag the cinder block. I'm have to like jump out of the water and breathe, and trying to drag myself along this rock and almost drowned. It was awesome. I had a great time. They're like, "Oh crap! Reroute the course! Reroute the course!" They had to hurry and reroute it so nobody else had to go around the rock. Uh, so that was pretty fun. <laughs> that was the name of the game for early on Spartan. Was the first couple people through it tested the final walkthrough of the course. 
and then it became oh, yeah. safe a couple a couple minutes later. Yep, yep, very true. <laughs> a handful of times, I had to hurry and change something quick after I went through. <laughs> so, to, non Spartan race, but Temecula was the site of one of my worst sandbag experiences of all time. Do you remember Atlas Race way uh, back then? When they yeah, did not a have a day. volunteer at the turnaround point, and we ended up going like 1.2 miles with the sandbag. <laughs> yeah. Took it over yeah, a wall, was... took it through a, a swim, and then finally someone caught up to us. Yeah, that was crazy. I was behind you guys. I was having a bad day that day. But yeah, that sandbag carry was nuts for you guys. I think that was the first time we ever saw you on a bad day. And I think that was the longest I've ever spent while carrying something. I mean, over almost a mile and a quarter of a carry had to have been like 30-some minutes of a carry. Oh, yeah, it was all the way up the hill, all the way down the hill. And then, yeah, like you said, through a few obstacles. And, yeah, it was nuts. Yeah, one of my rare bad days. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I only entered the sport in 2016. So what were these sandbags uh, like a decade ago? Were we talking like doubles or these, you know, what were they? What were we carrying around? Well, the Atlas was only a single. Spartan does doubles from time to time. and um, But, yeah, they're, up through about 2014, the name of the game was – make it harder and harder and harder. And so things were getting real stupid at at one point, actually. (laughs) I mean, just carries that are just up at Black Diamond Ski Slope forever and ever and ever. I mean, a sandbag carrier bucket brigade might take you 20, 30 minutes long as nuts. That's interesting. So you know how we've um, standardized a little bit in Spartan Race in the last year or two? Do you think that's that's a wise move then, considering things were getting ridiculous years ago? Well, I've never been a fan of go harder, 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 because then you just appeal to your more extreme crowd, but you push out the masses. So I've never really liked that as a as a general theme anyways. There should always be events like that, but not a general theme among us, most of your events. As far as standardization, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of we need a standardized format for the sport. Um, but I, I think we should actually create that format and leave these – longer races out in the mountains wild and free and let them be crazy like they're supposed to be keep them wild and free i like that um speaking of the mountains you live out in the mountains right and you're uh you you removed yourself from the race scene for a little bit what uh what are you up to these days what the heck is a day in the life of hobie call like (laughs) well it was pretty sporadic there for about a year year and a half didn't know what i was doing with myself but I've decided I enjoy staying in shape, so I'm I'm back to training again, and I'm actually. Now, when you say training, what does training look like for you? Can, are you <laughs> the type of person that can train for life, or do you have to train towards something? Well, I thought I might be able to train for life, but that's kind of what I was doing for that year and a half, other than a, a short stint where I was doing my pull up challenge, but I've put that on hold for a while. Um, no, I like to have a an impossible goal to chase. That's what keeps me motivated and gets the best out of myself. So um, right now I am training. I've begun training my son and some of his friends who is in seventh grade. And the goal is to train them to be able to break a four-minute mile by the time they graduate high school. And so I figure the best way for me to coach them is to also run with them. So I'm training myself as hard as I'm training them to see what I can do. So that's a – Oh, does that mean – does that mean you're getting yourself in shape right now, Hobie? Are you telling us that you're getting in shape, real good shape right now? <laughs> well, I can't lie. Yes, I am. Oh, yeah. Well, there, there might even like be a there might even be a sh- 
possibly a short OCR comeback for a short season two. We'll see. A short OCR comeback. You know we got to dive into that a little more. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I'll tell you all about it. So tell as me. you as as you know, they they've started doing a kids world championships the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yep. And well, the, my son who's in seventh grade actually is is primed to probably kick some major button that this coming up year. And I can so, only imagine. Yeah. So, anyways, so I've been thinking. Actually, we were actually thinking about this for this last year. Cody Moat and I both, because both of our sons are that age. Um, so, actually, last February or January, I got a hold of Cody, and I was like, Cody, you know what? We have this rare opportunity here. Now that they have a kids' world championships, we're both still in pretty good shape, and both of our kids are gearing up to try to win this kids' world championships. What if we both started training again? We tried to pull a double to see if we could win oh. the world championship and our one of our sons win the kids' world championship also. So he was all about it, but but they put the race on Sunday this year, and and neither Cody and I race on Sundays, so we had to drop that idea. So but, you stuck so your guns on that and avoided a Sunday race. Would you Had yeah. they moved it to Saturday, would you have trained through and showed up? Oh, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, no, I was I was way excited about the idea. And we, we tried. Behind the scenes, we tried really hard with Spartan for about a month to get him to change it back in February, but it just it just wasn't going to happen. So we there decided no not light. to make a big deal of it. It's their decision. They can do what they want to do. So there we was dropped no it. legwork there? They never listened to you? They, they wouldn't budge on that? No, no. Joe, Joe wanted to do it. Honestly, Joe wanted to, but Joe's not really in charge anymore. And the people who made that decision to put it on Sunday, they're just like, no, we've already... You know, even though it was way back in February, they 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 were just dead set on it. They weren't going to change their minds. Did they give you so, a why they went to Sunday? Uh, the main reason was they just wanted to separate the championships from everything else, and they I kind of think they kind of figured if we put it on Sunday, then that'll just really be a bigger focus than it is on Saturday. To me, that doesn't really make sense. I don't think that's the way it turned out, but that's the way they were seeing it. Yeah, I would say looking at the venue on Sunday during the World Champs this year, I don't think the the venue is any more packed with spectators. Unfortunately, I thought it was maybe their their hope, but it it didn't pan out. I would say I'd say it was about the same. Wouldn't you, Bracken? Yeah, Roughly. it felt pretty dead, but they they yeah. were also a victim of the weather. They got nailed with nasty yeah, we weather, did, yeah. and there were roads closed. So I don't even think they got a good proof of concept going because of the two kind of things coinciding there. Um, I. Well, it will be interesting. The rumor is that they're heading overseas. And the rumor on top of that is that they're looking at the Middle East. And the Middle East weekend is different than our weekend. So it, it will be interesting to see if they change that up. And do you have any word? Are, are you going to have the opportunity to race on a Saturday or a Friday this year? Uh, we still don't know. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm training in case the opportunity comes up, though. Because... Okay. I was just going to ask. So... That's fair. Uh, you're in good shape. Last year didn't pan out. You must have a little pent up race in you, right? What it, What are your racing plans this year? Are you going to hop in some? Are you going to kind of bide your time? What are you thinking? Well, at first I told myself, well, shoot, if I'm going to be in shape, I might as well run all the uh, the whole series again. But turns out half the series races are on Sunday also. So I was like, ah, forget that. So I think I'm going to uh, just focus primarily on the mile um, all the way through track season. So around May is my plan is to 
jump into like an open high school meet or something to see what I can do for fun. And maybe, I kind of doubt it, but maybe I'll get serious and actually try to do the Masters World Championships in July for the mile. How fast um, do you think you can run when you get peak condition? Do you have a goal in mind? I'm hoping to hit about a 415. What's your lifetime PR? You know, I've never raced an actual mile since high school. So Really? What'd you run in high school? Like 429? 4, 428 in high school. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, you're so you're So you're how old right now, Hobie? How old are you? Uh, 42. I'll be 43 once track season starts, though. So at 43, you want to run 15 seconds faster approximately in the mile than you did in high school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How that's, trained were you in high that's school? Badass. I worked my butt off in high school. I was quite serious from a young kid, actually. But I grew up in Wyoming and didn't really have coaches. And, you know, the winters are brutal. So a track was never really a strong thing in high school. I do want to cycle back to this conversation because I'm curious about how training for a mile looks for you. But first, let, let's continue on that U.S. season track. So you're thinking about doing track season. And then after that, I assume you're going to hit the Utah race. Any other races on your horizon for OCR? Probably not. Maybe maybe Tahoe. Maybe Tahoe just because it's a I'll, – I'll do a couple races for fun. I'll probably – I might run Arizona just to get a break this winter from winter. And yeah. I'll probably run the Vegas race just because it's pretty close to home. And we'd like to go down as a family and do that for fun. But so if seriously, anyone wants a shot at you, Utah, Arizona, Vegas, and maybe Tahoe. Maybe Tahoe. Yeah, Utah, if, if I don't uh, keep doing track after May, because i, I got to build my endurance back up because mile training is quite a bit different than uh, training for a Spartan beast. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I'll need at least a couple months before I take a race seriously after I finished doing the mile training. But yeah, I'm looking. See, my... oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, my philosophy is if you get fast at the mile, I feel like that speed translates to getting fast over a long distance. So I think you're going to be, your endurance base will come into play and you'll probably be in the best shape you've been in after mile training. Do you think you could see that happening? I can, but it'll, it'll still take a couple months to actually build up the mileage and the hills. Because I don't, yeah. I don't, I'm not a high mileage mile trainer. If I was, if I was running 60 miles a week while I'm doing the mile training, then the transition would be really fast. But I'm not going to be running a lot of mileage. I'm going to be focused on just the mile. So I'm going to that was going to be my it. question. Because you, you, you've been two different people in your life. You've been the 5K, 10K marathoner who's running high mileage, and then you became the quality over quantity runner in the second half of your career. And so you're going to approach the mile from a speed standpoint. Absolutely. I think, yeah. I think most people still look at the mile as like endurance and they just go out and run way too many miles. You know, you okay. really don't need very much endurance to run a mile. It's, it's, you know, speed and four minutes of stamina. That's really all you need, you know? So yeah, I, I'm going to do a, some legitimate speed training so I can hit that first lap in 62, 63 seconds without it killing me. So what does that look like for you? What, what, what does training protocol look for both your, your seventh grade son and, you know, 42 year old Hobie, what, what does speed training look like for you? Well, you have, and this, this training philosophy works for, I think anything you do. It was what I, same philosophy as when I was training for obstacle racing, I picked exactly what distance I want to train for, you know, a sprint, super, a beast, 
And I go, what's one workout that would mimic this race the best? You know, and and I take that workout and that's my key workout. And everything else I do throughout the week is to optimize that workout. That's what everything is designed to do. And so one day I'll do three sets of four 300s on the track. And the first set is the key part of, of the whole week. That first set is four 300s, um, but I got to run a pretty quick rest break because I want the pace that I'm running in the 300s, I actually want to hit that pace at the end of the 1500 meters that I run for that whole set. So it's four 300s with three 100 rest breaks makes it 1500 meters. So if I'm running, let's say I'm running four and a half minute mile pace, I want to I want to hit four and a half pay, mile pace on those 300s, but I actually want to hit the 1500 mark at the end of that whole interval at 430. So the rest breaks are actually, actually relatively quick so that I'm only 100 meters short of my actually mile time in a race at race pace. So you're trying so you're, to come through 15 at mile time. Yeah. Yes. So you want to come through 15 at 430 with yes. your 100 meter floats in between your intervals. Yep, exactly. And that is the key section of the of the key workout for for everything I do in the whole training week. And so my second set, I actually walk the rest breaks and run the interval faster to get used to a little more speed. And the third mm -hmm. set I'll do with a weight vest on for a little more strength. And then I have another workout. I do three hard workouts a week. I have another workout that's a little bit shorter and a little bit faster than this workout um, with also strength elements to it so that I have a little bit of reserves of, of strength and speed beyond that workout so that, that speed doesn't feel too fast. Talk to us about work, strength elements added into that workout. And, yeah. Yep, strength element added into every workout well, I do. What does that look like for you? Are you still lunging and burpee broad jump yep. or are you changing that? Uh, doing the lunges, yeah. So the, the speed workout is I do three-minute interval on the treadmill, then lunges, then a three-minute on the bike, on a spin bike. Okay. And I do, and I do three sets of that. And so uh, the first set on the treadmill, though, is not just a three-minute interval. It's actually 15 seconds fast, 15 seconds off, 15 seconds fast, 15 seconds off. And, um, and then the lunges, the first set of lunges, I'll do heavy and then, and then half as much weight as the heavy and then and then just lunge fast for the third set of lunges. The bike, I just go hard for the full three minutes just to fry the legs. But the running, the first set of the running for the 15-second hard, 15-second easy for three minutes, I I have a, a, a weight that I have and a, and a belt that I wear. So I'm actually pulling weight that's wrapped around my waist. And so I'm pulling... Leaning into the treadmill? Yeah, leaning into the treadmill. So I'm pulling horizontally forward. But it's... But I'm going, and this is where. Is on, sorry, sorry. Is that on bungee or is that on a rope? It's on a rope, but it's okay. on a pulley, so it's like just pulling the weight mm. vertically. But I'm pulling it horizontally, though. It really doesn't bounce because you're not moving horizontally. You're not moving back and forth, so the weight just kind of sits there. It's real. It's real comfortable. But the pace. I got a for, question for you with all uh, this. Oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I, I have a question for you with all this. Where did you? Where did you come up with this type of training method? Like, I know you've been doing this like type of training for years. Was this just like an idea or an experiment that popped into your head to do this sort of like left field training or this compromise training? Or were, were you taught that? Um, no, I definitely wasn't taught it. 
Um, it was after it was after I ran the Olympic trials in two thousand seven, end of two thousand seven. Then um, that was what that was the like the year when I was running ninety miles a week on average and ran my two sixteen marathon. So I did good, but I but me, I always you know dreamed the impossible. I'm like, okay, two sixteen is not bad, but we got these dang Africans running a solid ten minutes faster than that. You know, what am I going to, I got to get drastically better. I don't want to get one minute better, two minutes better. I want to get drastically better. And I'm like, I don't see myself just bump into a hundred miles a week or 110 miles a week doing that for me. There's some, there's gotta be another way. And I was always struggling with, you know, at times I'd have little injuries nagging me here and there. And so after the trials, I was just like, all right, I got, I got nothing on my plate, no goals, no anything. Um, I gotta just, I gotta figure this out. I gotta, I gotta, think of something different than my work and and it started with well let's just work on everything and make sure i i'm like structurally 100% solid so that as i peak months or years down the road i don't keep running into injuries because it's always the weak link that breaks and so it initially yep. started as let's just make sure i have no weak links whatsoever and it just kind of naturally gravitated toward just less mileage more strength, more stamina, more more structural, you know, stamina and strength. Let's make sure I got the adequate speed for whatever race I'm doing. Just enough endurance, but not too much. I don't need to go run 90 miles a week. I just need enough endurance to get through what I'm training for. You know, and other than that, let's focus on the speed and the strength. And it just kind of naturally evolved into the, the, the high mileage just seemed useless. It, it seemed counterproductive. It's like I can spend that energy building more strength or more speed instead of just more endless endurance. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, it got me some pretty good results. Yeah. Well, what I'm interested in is, it sounds like you started by trying to bulletproof yourself. Was, was that strength training separate from the runs at that point? Were they separated into different workouts? No. You started no, right away I, with strength combined with running? Yeah. I always combine it because I don't, I don't want to, you know, if I'm only going to run three days a week, it, it, you know, or whatever, if I'm going to do three hard workouts a week, I don't want only one to be focused on, like, strength work and one to be focused on endurance and one to be focused on speed. You know, I want to incorporate all three into all three workouts, mm-hmm. at, least to an, at least to a certain extent. And so I didn't want to just do lunges or something one day. I'm like, I need to run all three days. And so I'd incorporate any lunges or weight vest running or whatever else I might do into all just one solid workout. That's interesting. And I've I've tried. I've tried separating them before. And and it just seemed to not get enough of everything I need throughout a week. Just doing something once a week just didn't seem to quite cut it. And and I've tried combining – when I was doing obstacle racing and doing – three leg days, three cardio days, you know, and then three upper body days. I tried combining everything and that didn't work either. So uh, I've tried both a few times and I find that just three leg days a week and three upper body days a week always got me the best results. With, with all this talking of training, like we're talking all these training specifics, which is super interesting. My question is, after you crossed that Spartan race finish line, I think back in 2017, I believe was the last world champs you ran. Did you ever take a break? Did you ever like just sit back and like be lazy and, and stop all of this, you know, sort of training or have you always been like regimented like this? 
with your training <laughs> calculated and regimented or do you can you can you like lounge or relax i know you mentioned you wanted to like always the laziest time with the person family. i've ever seen the laziest, the laziest person i've ever seen ever when he's not working out oh smart man smart man so yeah, have you, did you. you take some time off did you take some time off and like just hang out at first i didn't i knew you know i didn't want to go into any sort of depression from retiring or anything so i i intentionally toned it down very slowly so I stayed in really good shape for a good few months still as I slowly wound it down. And then I tried after that. I was like, oh, well, you know, whatever. Let's just be a normal person. I went crazy real fast. I, I realized I can't do that. That might have lasted <laughs> like two or, two or three weeks. I was like, no, I got to work out. And that's when I thought, well, what do I want to do? And I've always enjoyed pull-ups since I was just a little kid. And I'm like, okay, well, if I'm retired, I don't want to do the running thing anymore i've already done that uh, let's let's go after this pull-ups and so i looked up saw what the record was and at the time it was 54 pull-ups in a minute i thought you know what i can that's the kind of thing i can do and these are like strict legit you know straight on pull-ups no kipping no nothing i'm like i can train myself to do that and i should be able to do it without it taking as much time as training for obstacle racing did or as much energy so i could have my fun doing something difficult but still have more time and energy, you know, so I can still pretend I'm retired. And I like and how I you said you pretend, you pretend you're retired. <laughs> I see how this is going. Uh, okay, continue. Yeah. yeah. So, so for a couple months, it was working great. And then I started realizing, even though it's just one minute of pull ups, it is, it started taking as much time and energy as if I was training for obstacle racing. It like, it became that serious. And I was, I was, I wasn't too far from the record. I think I got up to about 40, 45 in a minute, but I was, I was at a point where I was progressing really fast though. But, but I was like, man, I spent as much time and energy and focus as I did when I was racing. I'm supposed to be retired. And so I started getting with annoyed, annoyed with myself because of that. And so I just kind of stopped and then, you know, summer came and, you know, it's fun to do pull-ups in the winter when it's cold outside in your garage, but when summer comes and the, Hills dry out. You're like, ah, oh, I'm going to go run in the hills, you know. So I kind of lost focus during the summer, and then winter came. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this again. And but I never stayed focused for more than like a month or two at a time. And then I just decided, you know what? Let's just put this on hold for a while. Not like I'm in a hurry to do it. Let's just go and do whatever I feel like doing. Which is honestly, I love, I love the way, I love obstacle training. Even if I'm not training to be an obstacle racer, I just love that style of training. Mm-hmm. So I started doing that and up until the last little while where I finally started training my son for the mile. And now we're focused on that. So do you think like you're unable to be retired from like some sort of goal in any sense? I get the feeling like I know myself well enough to be like, am I ever going to be able to fully shut it down? Like there's no way I would become an insane person. So like with you, you said you were going to, you know, you're going to retire and slow down a little bit. Like, did you ever take the time to like, I don't know. And today I'm not going to run. I'm going to like go do this instead. Like, I'm super curious about your retirement phase. Like you said you wanted to like camp with the kids or do things you haven't done like in a while. <laughs> like, did you take the time or you're like, shoot, I got to go freaking do pull-ups today. Cause that's my training plan now. Or did you, or did you step back? Like, I'm super curious how you approach that. Well, yeah, while I was doing the pull-ups, I was like, I got to go do my pull-ups and that's kind of why I got annoyed with it. Yeah. But, uh, the truth, the truth isn't nearly as exciting as I wish it was, to be honest. Yeah. Um, 
I was making decent money when I was racing. And when I quit racing, I was like, man, I still kind of like that lifestyle of having a little bit of money. So mostly, <coughs> mostly as sad as it is, I just started working overtime at work. I just started working <laughs> a couple just hours started- of overtime at work and to make up for that extra money. And that, there was my extra time and energy right there. And it, it got to be really lame, honestly. And that's part of why I'm like, you know what? I don't live life to work overtime. Let's train and get back in shape. Even if it's just to train my son, that's still a goal I can enjoy even if I didn't race. I'm like, oh, I'm in shape. I might as well race though. So, so yeah, you know, retirement was totally overrated. I feel like if I were you, there would be all these young guns out there like VJ Jones and even Ryan Atkins is still like 30 or under. Don't you just want to come back and just lay the hammer on them and be like, children, the adults are here to here to step in, like quit playing around. <laughs> it's got to be a part of you that just wants to jump in and show them who's boss. Like how much of you wants to do that? I want you to do that. I uh, if, yeah. Well, the 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 rumor is that Abu Dhabi is going to be the world championships this year, mm-hmm. and so say. and not only that, I mean it might not happen, but that's the rumor. The rumor also is that the kids' world championships are also going to be there on the same weekend, so they'll both be held on the same weekend together. <clears throat> and I'm not going to lie, if if my race isn't on Sunday, uh, I have every intention of coming and killing everybody at that race. I love that. You, this 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 is a lot of people's like best worst nightmare. People are going to be really excited that you're back, but anyone who's actually raced you, who's still in the sport, doesn't necessarily want to see you on course because there's a <laughs> there's a quality to your racing that's different than racing against other people, and it, it's hard to describe. But you do things differently than other people, and you look differently coming off obstacles when you run. And you accelerate differently. And I don't think most people want any part of that, especially if you take the mountain specialists out of it, which you do in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Um, as funny as it sounds, I'll, I think I'll fare better in Abu Dhabi than I would in any other world championship. Yeah. I, I, I did pretty good in, I did pretty good in Tahoe, but I like hot desert weather. I lived in yeah. St. George, Utah, which is hot desert weather. And I love it. I love running in sand. I love running in the rocks, and I love it when it's hot. Yeah. So, I mean, it'll be December. It won't necessarily be hot there, but it certainly won't be cold, and I'm going to be a happy guy. I raced, so, there, I raced there in October, and I've raced there in uh, February, and it was in the 90s, upper 90s for both races I did there. It is not cold during that time, and sand running's miserable for most people, and I've seen you run on that type of terrain. <laughs> you just – you – you glide differently than other people. And you combine that with some of the extra strength with pull-up running and now the speed of the mile. And I think this is bad news for some people in the sport. <laughs> I, I think it's great news. I agree. I agree. It's not gonna it's not gonna be fun for them. But I, I hope <laughs> I hope if it does work out this way and it, if I do race well, I hope I can help people to see it differently than I saw it. Um, Hobie, back when I was younger. Do you, do you have anybody's number? Are you like, I wish I want to go back and kick like this guy's butt, or I want to go back and go head to head with Atkins again, or I just want like that, you know, you were button heads with, for example, Atkins in 2017, a good bit. Like, is there anybody that you just want to go back and just suffer with? Like, is there, is there anybody on your mind when you're out there grinding on your treadmill and you're like, you're in the pain cave, who are you thinking about anybody? No. 
No, just no? myself. Just I your just game? See, I just want to see at 43, can I be as good as I was at 40? Is it possible? You know? What's, what's your instinct tell you? Is it possible? In some ways, I can tell I'm a little older, but, but the truth is I'm, I'm still really healthy. I'm healthy. See, when I train, I'm, I'm still getting results. So I, I think it's possible. And, I would, and the, how excited you are about something makes a huge difference. And not, yeah. that traveling, not that traveling to Abu Dhabi sounds exciting. That sounds like a nightmare, but it is what it is. But racing there actually sounds like a lot of fun. To I have agree. world championships at sea level, um, warm weather, just warm weather. I love racing in warm weather, you know. And I, I think because cold just plays a role in, in the races way too often. In Vermont, it played a role. People come out of the water. They're cramping all over the place. Fatigue plays some of that, but cold plays even more probably. And that would kill people's races. And Tahoe is exactly the same way every year, pretty much. Yeah. And I, I would love, I would love it if it was hot. I like if we're gonna do it in Abu Dhabi, they might as well have the race at one o'clock in the afternoon. Why not? Don't do it at seven in the morning See, when it's sixty-five degrees, man. Do it, won't it one be when it's eighty-five degrees. <laughs> I agree <laughs> with that. I love hot. Well, Let's at, do it in December at seven o'clock in the morning. It will be, but. But do it when it's hot. It's supposed to be a hot desert. Let's let, let's switch it around. See who can handle the heat. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I would just be out there sweating my brains out and loving every step of it. Listen, Hobie. Last time when Bracken left out when he raced in Abu Dhabi the last time, it was a little bit of a suffer fest for him. I think he's shaking in his boots to go oh, back. Bracken, that was that he was said that he three, got him. Top three most awful experiences of my life was the last hour of that race. <laughs> so, Hobie, this this race is not not that we need to talk about this, but this race reminded me of old Spartan race. They said it was going to be twenty k, and it was thirty k. <laughs> so like, we were out there for a whole lot longer than we intended with no water. But no, I agree. I think that it's time to get away from who's the best cold weather uphill downhill mountain runner at altitude. Find out something different. But I think there's going to be a question on most people's mind. It's going to be, what has Father Time done to you? Now, like the, the phrase is always father time is undefeated. Like at some point, father time beats us all. What have you felt since, you know, what people would consider your endurance prime somewhere in your mid thirties? Have you felt a noticeable decline or are you still hitting numbers that you hit when you were the man in this sport? I only notice the decline when I'm not focused and not eating right or not resting enough or not training smart. You know, when I, when I, get focused and I make sure I'm resting and eating good and doing the right workouts and doing them consistently for a while. I feel like I'm getting the same results I was getting when I was younger. So if I, if I stick to it, I, I don't know. That's also the biggest question on my mind. Can I do it at 43, but why not? See, my biggest question for you is this. I think, I think it did me. I think I can do it. So Bracken and I call each other and chat every week and we literally just like, bitch and moan about our aches and pains. We're like, oh, my hip hurts. Oh, my knee hurts. Oh, my foot's really bad right now. And I'm 36 and Bracken, you're like 25. So like, <laughs> whatever it is. 32. So, so I always feel like injury gets the best of people. Like eventually father time wins, but usually it's because somebody gets injured because of the years of training. And then they can't achieve that fitness level anymore because they can't train like they used to. So you've been injury free as far as we know. How like is what? What's your secret, man? Like, dish. Well, part of the reason why I might see it differently than most people is because my twenties, I was injured 
far, far more in my 20s and had more aches and pains than I did throughout my 30s. Um, and it came down to just being smarter. There's something about knowing how to take care of yourself, knowing how to train smarter, eat healthier, rest better. And if you get those three elements and stress, no no self-imposed stress on yourself that you shouldn't be doing. Um, life will throw stress at you, but if you throw stress at yourself, that's a lot worse. So avoid a stressful lifestyle, uh, a self-inflicted stressful lifestyle. That's what I should say. Uh, eat healthy. Eat smart. You know, not just healthy. you got to be smart. you got to eat the right things at the right times. Um, make sure you're getting the rest you need. Don't be out partying late at night. Make sure you take a quick nap during the day. Whatever you got to do, you know. You got time to take and, a nap during the day? And train smart. I make the time. I work construction. I'm in the house, and I lay down a cardboard box and get a little pillow, and I lay down for my lunch break. Come take on. A nap. Every Everybody, day? Everybody's working around me. They all think I'm crazy. I don't care. I got to get my rest if I'm going to be able to train hard after work. So I do it. You take a nap at lunch every day. Oh, yeah. Dang yep. it. See, this is what I'm doing wrong. So I need to nap. I need to eat a good lunch. I need to nap. Yeah. I need to be smarter. Yeah. Yep. What about you, Bracken? You got, you take time for a nap. You got kids. Well, I have the easiest schedule you'll ever find. I'm a stay-at-home dad. You know, I, I work on the I work from a computer. So it, I, I have a great problem in that our youngest daughter who is still napping, she's two, only falls asleep at night for Lisa, but only falls asleep during the day for me. So anytime I'm tired, I have permission to fall asleep with her. So like today I didn't. Yesterday I slept for almost an hour. I hate both of you. That's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> That's why I look so young. That's why my hair is so full. That's a subjective statement. <laughs> You just got to make it a priority. You can, you can, almost everybody can do what they need to do if they're that committed to doing it. So how long are your naps? Are you taking power naps, 20, 30 minutes? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's real quick. Yeah. 20 to 30 minutes. Exactly. Never more than 30 minutes. Yeah. So, I think they've shown enough, that I mean, that's about I, all you need for HGH release. Yeah. Yeah. The real, the real thing is just lay down. Don't be staring at your phone the whole time. Just relax. It'll focus on getting yourself to relax. And once you relax for five or 10, like really relax for five or 10 minutes, Makes a huge difference. Hobie, where's the weirdest place you've taken a nap? Have you mm. napped in some weird places? Like on a roof or something just crazy? <laughs> no, not on a roof. They're always too steep. You're afraid about you're going to roll off. That's fair. That's um, nowhere real weird. Just just at work. Just just snapping on in a, in someone's basement or at a yep. site? Yep. What's, the, what's the weirdest I'll go, place you've taken a lawn sometimes. I'll go out on a lawn or at a park and just lay out wherever. Kirk, you ever sleep in a weird spot? Um, ugh, nothing I want to dive into right now. I guess that's, that's fair. <laughs> I fell asleep twice yeah. riding my bike. What? Yep, I was I was young. I was young, but tw two different times in the same year, I fell asleep while riding my bike. How'd that turn out for you? First time, it was on pavement in my face. I looked like Two Face. I just scraped up one side, and the second time, I ran into a uh, a telephone pole and I just kind of like bounced off of it and I didn't really crash badly. I feel like this explains a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I can drop well, like a super long bike ride or what? <laughs> no, I mean, I was little and I was nonstop in the summertime and it was one of those like, all right, I need to go on one, one more, one more ride before bedtime. And I'd, I'd probably yeah. been going for 10, 12 hours straight in the sun. And I think I just overworked myself and, 
And I relaxed on the <laughs> yeah. bike. The winds whooshing past my eyes made them flutter, and I was out. That's cool. That's interesting. I don't. I don't yeah. know if it's cool, but it happened, and I paid for it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Hobie, I got. I got a question for you. Uh, a couple questions. Do you do you know how many Spartan races you've run in your lifetime? Because I do, and I'm curious if you know as well. Uh, I have it written down actually, but I don't remember. Is it 78 or 87? Well, or I guess something? It's, this would be since uh, since. Oh wait, wait, you're just you're just talking Spartan races. Just Spartan races. Just Spartan uh, races. That's all the stats I have. Probably around 50. I don't know. Okay, so I contacted, there's a gentleman out there, uh, Jack Bauer. He's our stats guy, and I reached out to him before this. Just I was curious about your resume. So you've raced 55 Spartan races okay. in your day, okay? Out of those 55 Spartan races, how many podiums do you think you've been on out of those 55? Mm, well, I ran probably three or four where I was just running for fun, like with my wife or something. Oh, so those, those are the ones that you missed? That's what, Okay. And then I probably had maybe one, two, three, four, maybe four more that I didn't get on the podium, maybe. So I'd guess so I you, got on the podium probably 50, 46 times. Out of your 55 races, you podium 50 times. You've only missed five, which basically sounds like a couple fun runs and a couple, you know, bad days. And out of those 55 races, you have 43 wins. So you've lost... You've won 43 out of your 55 Spartan races. I don't know if <laughs> if anybody, I guess the stats tell us that there's some guy named Matt Murphy out there, somebody who has a better win percentage than you by like a fraction. However, that's insane. That's crazy. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Oh, well, you can't complain about that. That's for sure. <laughs> Humble. Is that no, satisfying or, or is it it's good, Especially business. since I don't... You know, especially since I tend to seek out the hardest races, you know, especially the last few years, I only ran the hardest races usually. So, yeah, I, I feel good about that. That's wild. And and of all those, like, I was super curious because you've had such like a, like a long racing career. And now that you've had a little time, I guess not to relax and think about it, but I'm sure you've thought about it. Like, do you have any like moments that stay, like races or moments that like stand out to you in in your career where, where like, those are the moments you go back to, like when you're on a long run or something that are you like proud of particularly or anything, uh, anything that jumps out at you? Like you wish you could go back and relive that day. <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to go back and relive them. I want to, I want to keep, re I want to keep creating them. I think, um, you know, what's funny is some of the most memorable races that I talk about the most and think about the most aren't the ones that I won. You know, probably probably my most talked about race, the story I tell the most, and probably one of the races I enjoyed the most was the first year in Vermont, which I hate that course. I hate racing in Vermont. Um, but it was the first beast they ever had. And so I was like, okay, you know, these supers last an hour and a half maybe. This beast will last two hours, maybe slightly more at most, you know. So I didn't bring any water, any fuel, any anything. And I even, you know, just cruising along, missed the first water station or two. And about a little over two hours into the race, I realized I'm not even almost done. And I hit a huge wall. And anyway, there's a whole 15-minute long story there for that race, but almost drowned twice. The whole nine yards is great, you know. But that was like the that was the first race I actually didn't race well. The first one I didn't get on the podium. 
and you know, but it, it, it turned out to be one of the best stories though. So it, winning, winning is great. There's no doubt, but just, just going through the struggle, struggling, struggling is almost better than winning is sometimes. Wow. If that's the case. I've had a heck of a career. <laughs> <laughs> I've struggled with the best of them. <laughs> Toby, you taught me the meaning of the word like real struggle. I track cross country, like you run your pace, you run your race, someone beats you where they don't, but like outside of the guys right around you, not a whole lot happens. You, I had like a three year, like quest to beat you. And every single time you took me to a place that I didn't belong being and then suffered <laughs> to a level that I never suffered in track across country before. And, and I think there's probably a lot of people in the sport with like, everyone has their first Hobie story. Like the first time they ran into Hobie before a race and saw this guy that just like, was this, they'd only heard about before and now they see him. And then the first time they ran into him on course and saw the way you race or heard you, you know, talking or laughing and joking around during a race as you casually just like eviscerated the people around you. But I have a couple that stand out for me. What, what are your top moments during a race that you just think back and think that was bizarre or that was outrageous, or I can't believe this happened or, or th me and this person had just the most fun on that course. What, what, what are your stories? Oh, shoot. I don't know. Uh, they all just kind of blend that, that, that Killington race was mm -hmm. one of them. Um, Alec Blennis. You remember Alec Blennis? I remember Alec Blennis. Oh yeah. He, he was the, um, for those who don't know, he he was like seven, 16 or 17 when he, he first started VJ racing. He was VJ before VJ. Yeah. Yeah. He was VJ. He was the young guy. He's literally in high school, 16, <laughs> 17 years old. And he was the first person at that age to start traveling events throughout the country and racing all over the place. And so anyway, in Vermont, you know, after cramping before we get hit the swim, I was just walking. I'm like, I'll just keep walking. I got to get to the finish. <clears throat> and he talked, he caught, finally caught up to me and talked to me to start running. And, and I, and I finally got going again. Cramps kind of went away and we hit the lake and, and he takes off swimming like a swimmer and I take off swimming like Hobie call. And, <clears throat> You know, half an hour later, I finally get to the other side of the lake. Well, he, well, I'm, you know, in the laying in the mud because I'm cramping again. I can't get out, so I'm just sitting in the mud on the edge, <laughs> massaging my legs so I can stand up. And he had, he had failed the Tyrolean Traverse, so uh, was part of the swim, and so he had to go swim to the far end of the lake, do burpees, and then run around. And so he caught back up to me, and he just like picks me up, like literally just grabs me and picks me up. He's like, "Let's get going again," you know. <laughs> so we. Got to pretty much finish the race together. I'm like throwing golf balls at him and stuff. Is this is one of those moments that <laughs> uh, it's it a great story. I could, you know, if more time I'd tell the story in more detail, but that was a lot of fun. Hobie, do you remember? Um, of course, you remember West Virginia. The uh, the last year you raced the series wasn't your best day, and I was having my best day, and I came up to you with like a mile to go and you are you have your legs crossed and you're casually leaning against the water table and there's cups out and you're chatting with the volunteers there <laughs> but no, i really appreciate what you guys are doing thank you for the, taking care of us and i run up on you at like 
all out race effort and I come by and you go, well, ladies, I better get going. I should probably run again. And then you just latched on to me and you, and I said, Hobie, you all right? And you said, yeah, I'll just run with you. Not my day. I'll just run with you until I get tired again. And then I'll just wait for the next guy to catch me. And that was your <laughs> attitude. And then you ended up reeling us all in. And if you remember, we had a, a sprint off. You got off the rig first and you waited for me to finish just out of pure sportsmanship. And I, I still believe to this day you allowed me to beat you across the finish line, which is very <laughs> gracious of you. That's still probably one of my favorite race moments, even though it wasn't your mm -hmm. best day. But that was a great story. I just never forget the image of me coming down that single track trail in West Virginia and you're casually leaning against the table chatting with the girls until I came by. That's, That's just awesome. the way you race, huh? Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> I remember most of that you just said. Um, yeah, I, I almost wish you guys could have seen me in my 20s because I wasn't that kind of person. You know, I, I was the guy. I was I, like, this is a true story. I was having a bad race one day. It's a 10K road race. Having a bad day. There's like a mile and a half to go, and I, it's already over. I've already, you know, I'm like fifth, sixth place. Not having a good time at all. Not running fast like I was hoping I would. And I got so mad, I, I took my bib off and I threw it over this tall chain link fence into somebody's yard just to make sure I couldn't change my mind and finish the race. <laughs> and then I walked all the way back to the finish line, found my wife and says, we're leaving. I'm done. <laughs> you know, so uh, I've had where, my days. So where did and your I, another, another story like that, because this kind of ties into me coming back. <clears throat> was Matt Carpenter. I don't know if you know Matt Carpenter, ultra running legend, owns Pikes Peak pretty mm -hmm. much. Well, I went to Pikes Peak. One year they had a sponsor. They actually had prize money. And this this was six weeks before I ran my 216 marathon in 2007. And so I'm in good shape. I'm not quite used to 14,000 feet elevation. I never get anywhere close to that. But I, for my endurance run during that summer, I was running up a mountain. So I was good at running up mountains and I was in good shape. And I went to that race, and Matt Carpenter was 43 years old, and I was 30 years old. And I was like, oh, his, his, his day has come. He's done. I'm the new king of the mountain. And I took off. It was just doing the Pikes Peak Ascent. Took off first half of the race. <coughs> as far as I knew, I was a mile ahead of everybody, and I was feeling good doing it. And you kind of hit a section halfway up the mountain where it almost levels out and just goes back a ways, and then it does that last climb again. Mm -hmm. And I'm just flying on that, just feeling great, thinking, heck yeah, I'm killing it, this is good stuff. And a little ways before we even hit the next real climbing, I start, hear, start hearing these footsteps behind me. And I'm like, man, is some camera guy trying to chase me down to get a picture or, or what's going on? You know, there's no way any racers are coming on me. I'm running way too fast. But the footsteps aren't stopping. They're just getting closer and getting closer. And after a while, I'm like, shoot, somebody's chasing me down. And I turn around and I see Matt Carpenter coming at me. And, you know, if it would have been three miles later at 12,000 feet elevation when I'm not quite used to it and I'm moving slower and he caught me, I would have been like, dang, I almost did it, you know. But I was still feeling great and still running fast. And he was chasing me down and passing me during that. And I tell you what, I was not a happy guy. <laughs> I was so mad. I was so mad. I figured he'd get killing me, beat me by a couple minutes. <coughs> Sorry. Um, and I didn't handle it well. You know, I was, I was super angry that a 43-year-old could beat me, uh, more more than probably anything. I'm like, I thought I was a pretty good athlete, and this 43-year-old guy just kicked my butt. 
on something I should have been really good at. So I was real mad about that, and I was mad about that for months, maybe even maybe even years, honestly. Um, and now here I am, almost forty-three years old, and so hopefully, you know, and and now now I look back and I have for the last few years. At first, I was mad that a person who was forty-three could beat me, but as I get older and older, that's like a a huge motivation to think, wow, I was in good shape, and this forty-three-year-old guy was even in better shape than I was. He he could do it at that age, and that helped inspire me when I was, you know, my last year, thirty-nine and forty years old, and I was racing. I was like, he was forty-three, he was great. So can I? I can do it too, you know. And so, what used to make me really angry is now a huge inspiration. And I hopefully, you know, if I do make a comeback, and if I, you know, do well, hopefully I can inspire people to see it differently than I saw it back then. Not get angry that they got beat by a forty-three-year-old, but but to be inspired to be like, hey, I'm 30, I'm 33, I'm 35, and look what I might still be able to do in 10 years from now, you know? If you look at it from the right perspective, it can be real inspiring instead of disappointing. So if it comes to that, hopefully I can help people see it that way. That's a pretty unique insight there. And it's shocking to hear that you were a bad sport at some point or that you didn't race for – what would you say altruistic reasons? Because if I could ever point to the example of someone who does something for the love of it, it would be you and obstacle course racing. Because I have seen most, I've been there for most of your bad days, if you can call them bad days. And I've never seen you not smiling on a course. I can't fake it when I'm having a bad day. You know, Kirk, I don't think really likes getting beat very often. Uh, most people here, not, and not that you do, but you have an ability to enjoy your race and what you're doing in the moment, regardless of the position you're in. Now, I was next to you in Seattle when you missed the bell on the Z-Wall. And then not too far behind you when you spilled your bucket. And you had like moments of frustration, but you just got back to it and just started working again. And then at the finish line, we're joking around with Killian doing his burpees. And like <laughs> you were just unfazed by like the travesty that had just happened because you seemed to truly enjoy what you do. When did that turnaround happen? What what was the the catalyst for going from like hot-headed Hobie to just I love what I do, Hobie? It started at my first obstacle race, honestly. Really? And it, but but it actually goes back before then cuz there's there's um, my my Olympic trials in 2007 where I had a really bad day. I mean, I we put everything on the line. We sold our house, we were living in a friend's guest house. So that I could train full time for a while, leading up to that. I mean, it was a big deal. I was thirty years old, and at the time, I thought thirty's it. If you can't do it at thirty, you're done, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I went and just had a horrible race at the trials, and and I didn't handle that well at all. I felt like I felt like I was betrayed. I felt like you know, because I'm a religious person, I feel like you know, Lord wanted me to do what I was doing and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I felt totally betrayed by having such a bad day. I'm like, I worked my butt off my whole life for it to come down to this, you know? And so I was, I was really mad for a couple of years about that. I'm just thinking, what was the point of any of this, you know? Cause nothing ended up really coming of it other than a lot of struggle <laughs> through my whole, you know, late teens and all the mile, all my twenties, I'm like 33 years old before I even hit my first obstacle race. So for 33 years, it's like, why am I even doing this? You know? And it was, it was, it was a huge source of frustration I'll tell you, at that first obstacle race, all of a sudden, my whole life made sense. 
everything. Why I was the way I was, why I had a bad race at the Olympic trials, why, I mean, everything about me all of a sudden made sense. It was like, that's the world I was supposed to be in. That's the world I was. It was all just base training for OCR? It was. It was. I mean, every time, even during all those marathoning years when you want to just be a skinny little runner, every time I'd let myself get too skinny, like upper body wise, I would just feel like this pull that I couldn't ignore. Like, you got to work your upper body, so I'm going to work your upper body, so I'm keep doing pull-ups, you know, even though they were detrimental to just running, but I just couldn't resist the urge because I just needed to do it. And I always wondered why I was that way about myself, you know, amongst other things too. And that first race, I was just like, this is it. It all makes sense. If, if I would have had a good race at the Olympic trials, I would have retired. Guaranteed, mm-hmm. I would have. I would have been like, I gave it my all. I did my best. This is it, you know. If I would have done well enough to get sponsored or anything, I would have stuck to the marathon. I wouldn't have started training the way I did to help me be such a good obstacle racer. <clears throat> and if I would have raced well but not good enough to get sponsors, I would have retired. That would have been it. <coughs> Sorry, I'm losing my voice. And so, so I needed to have a bad day to get angry enough to refuse to give up and to change up everything I was doing. And that led into obstacle racing. And I didn't understand why, so I was just angry all the time until it happened. Mm-hmm. And just the understanding of, you know what, when really bad things happen in your life, like training your whole life for an Olympic trials and then have the worst race of your life, you know, when something that seems so horrible like that happens, um, as long as you're doing your best, doing your, what you think you should be doing, there's always a reason for it. And in the end, you're always going to be glad things turned out the way that they did. And I, after that experience, I totally believe that. And I've tried really hard to always remember that, regardless of what kind of day or year I'm having. And so that's how I've been able to have bad races and still be happy. Because... You know, my goal is to, my goal, you know, I, I, I do my best to win. But really, the goal, what I want to really accomplish throughout this is to inspire other people. You know, to inspire people to follow their hearts, to believe in themselves, to never give up. You know, and how can I inspire people to never give up if when I'm having a bad day or a month or year, if I give up? And so I need to have bad moments and keep going and keep trying. So that people can say, hey, look, Ho didn't give up. And if they can see that, then maybe I can inspire them not to give up. And so, now I forgot where I was leading with all that. But but yeah, that, that, that helps me to, to still be happy when I'm having a bad day. Because a bad day, it might be a bad race day, but it doesn't have to be a bad day. It can still be a good day. You know, when I, like when I dropped that bucket of rocks in Seattle. You know, it literally was only seconds before I dropped that bucket that I was like, I'm gaining on these guys. I'm going to win this race. I was like convinced. I'm, I'm going to win. It. I'm going to do it. I was excited. And boom, I'm down. And it was over. The race was done. I wasn't going to win. End of story. You know, and I could have just been disappointed and be like, all right, forget it. Whatever. <laughs> you know, quit or jog it in. But I was like, I'm not really here to win the race. I'm here to just do my best. And right now my best is to hurry and get these rocks back in this bucket and just keep on raising anyway. You know, the race ain't over till it's over. Just do your best, even if your best isn't going to win it today. Whatever. You know, so I did, and I was able to be happy with the effort. And and you know what's funny? When people talk about races, they're like, 
oh, that was inspiring or that was inspiring. People talk about that race with me a lot more than they do races I've won. You know, like, yeah, that's, that's cool. You win so many races. But when they're like, dude, when you dropped that bucket, they had you on video and you were still smiling and having a good time and you just filled it back up and kept right on going. That was so cool. So many people have told me that, you know. And so being that my real goal is to inspire people, having a bad day or a bad moment in a race was actually more inspiring to people because of the way I handled it than if I would have won the race. And so to me, that's a huge win. And so with that perspective, um, that's why I've been able to have so many off days in races but still just be really happy anyway because I look at it differently than I used to. So we're missing Kirk's audio right now, but, um, Oh, hold on. I'm back. Okay. I, uh, I'm new to this podcast thing and I muted myself on accident. <laughs> this is hard. So hard. I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, um, it's a kind of a good segue. So like my question was like, man, if Hobie comes out of retirement, so to speak in quotes, like what's left to accomplish? Like you've been three time world champ. You were the U.S. National Series champ in a very competitive year, and is is your comp is it is it the sheer thrill of training and racing in combination with inspiring others, or what? What would you say? What would you say? Like, what is your main motivator? Is it is it is it helping others see that they are capable too, or what would you what would you say? Partly, it's just can I still do it at forty three at this age? But mostly, by far, the biggest reason is my son. It's like, can I actually train my son to win a kid's world championships and train myself to win a world championships at the same time? Because that's a whole other dynamic, you know, just training yourself at any age, honestly. But can you, can you train one of your own children to also do it? You know, it's, to me, that seems like a really – that seems like the proper way to retire from a sport, to hand it over to the next generation like that. Would you Literally. call it leading by example or would you call it passing the torch? How would you, how would you look at that? Uh, very much both. Cause if you're going to train hard and try to win yourself, you got to be the example, you know? And that's part of why I'm training with them for the mile. Cause I have to eat healthy to do that. I have to make get my rest to do that. I got to do the workouts too. You know, I can't just sit there on the sidelines eating a donut, telling them what to do. You know, I got to lead by example. Um, but yeah, very much just passing the torch too, you know, cause like when I retired in 2017, I think it was a great year. I didn't quite finish as strong as I hoped, had some teeth issues, but whatever. But anyways, but still it was a great year. You know, I gave it everything, but when I finished, it was just like, well, okay, it's over. You know, it didn't seem like, I don't know, it just kind of seemed to miss the meaning or purpose I was hoping there might be in it. But if I can <clears throat> hand it over to my son, you know, we both do the same time. I'm like, here it is. This is my way of handing the torch to the next generation. I think that'd just be so much more purposeful to me, and hopefully inspiring to others to see something like that happen. What do you mean you had some teeth issues? How did that? What was going on? What factored in there? I didn't know uh, any of that. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't usually talk about it that much, but. You're not like um, a big race excuse kind of guy. You just show up and it is what it is, right? It, yeah. it is what it is, yeah. But anyways, in, in about March or April 2017, I had a tooth that had a, you know, I had a feeling from when I was a kid and the feeling busted out. And so I had this big open spot in my tooth. I'm like, oh, it's not bothering me at all. I'll just 
do really good dental hygiene and take care of it. I think I can get through the season without any problems. And then June, July, early July, somewhere in there, um, a big chunk of tooth broke out. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> this is not good because I, I had an exposed nerve. And oh, it, was, it, was, it was just a few weeks before uh, Virginia, the West Virginia race, where all of a sudden, like, like I do these frozen drinks at work and stuff. And every time I try drinking, those just immediate brain freeze. It just hit that nerve and bother real bad. I'm like, oh, shoot, it's so close to the race. I can't take care of this right now unless I skip the race. And I was just like, I'm pretty sure I can survive for three weeks, go to West Virginia, run it, and then I'll hurry and take care of it before Tahoe. And I'll have that six weeks. Hopefully I recover quick and everything. Um, but those few weeks before West Virginia were brutal. It was just bugging me constantly, and eating was bothersome and i was just like well i've already got the plane tickets i'm going anyway we'll just see what happens and and i just wasn't feeling good as you could see it just was off day from the start i was just not feeling too good and then i was like well i got six weeks i, I like i had it scheduled monday when i got home i was going to the dentist and i had a couple other teeth that were kind of pointless and potential issues i'm like you know what just pull them all i actually had four teeth pulled out horrible thing to do i'm going to be out of teeth soon probably but I had four teeth pulled out, and and darndest dang thing, all or three of them, three of the four got dry socket. I don't know if you've ever had dry socket, but that's miserable. Yep, it's the worst. And you have three teeth that have dry socket at the same time. Oh my gosh, the the few weeks after that were just rotten. It was hard to run because they just throb while you're running and. By the time I was recovered, I only had a couple weeks till the race, which is when you're supposed to be start tapering down. So those six weeks between West Virginia and Tahoe were not what I was hoping they would be, to say the least. So, you know, yeah. obviously you show up and do your best anyway. And so I knew I was filling off, but I was like, just go, just do what you can do. It is what it is. So wasn't wasn't the finish break. to the <clears throat> wasn't the finish to the year I was hoping for. Man. Um, but you know, I, I have no regrets, though. It was still a marvelous year. I still have great memories of it all. Bracken, don't you feel like if it was anybody else in this sport, we would have had a 12-paragraph Instagram explanation of why someone raced like shit. But instead, Hobie doesn't tell anybody this. Like, I feel like it's just like it's just a, a an ode to your, your character that, you know, yeah. the excuses wasn't wasn't a factor because that sounds awful. And nobody, I had no idea until this moment, and I feel like, anybody else went through that it would be a long drawn out race excuse post which is just another <laughs> check mark it would it would it's another check mark in the positive column for the legend of hobie i feel like <laughs> absolutely well thanks yeah in 2000 yep. 2016 the beginning of 2016 when i was trying to decide am i going to retire am i going to race what am i doing and and that's what it was it was excuses 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 and finally, I just hit a moment, you know, and early in the year, and I'm like, I'm going to race. i got to quit with these stupid excuses. Who cares if I don't have money? Who cares if I'm too old? Who cares if my job sucks? Who cares if this? Who cares if that? Who cares? Blah, blah. Quit making excuses and just shut up and do it. And and I, I developed that attitude with uh, great determination to throw the excuses out the door. You don't have excuses. Life is life. Life hits everybody. You know, that's the way that it is. Quit making it an excuse. Just shut up and go out there and kill it. And so that was my attitude in 2016. I, I had to develop that attitude 
um, in order to do what I did. So that's part of why 2016 was such a good year. I was just like, I don't care if I'm bored. I don't care if I work too much. I don't care about this. I don't care about that. Who cares? Those aren't excuses anymore. That's life. That's, that's your life. That's the life you have. Just make it work. And so that's what I did. And I just carried that attitude into 2017 also. This, these last like 30 minutes have been super illuminating. I, I, I feel like there's a lot of people that are going to take something from this. But one parallel I keep drawing is a very interesting one c- connecting you to someone else. Because you, you've been talking ceaselessly about doing it for the right reason, love what you do, try to inspire others, show people that age doesn't matter, situation doesn't matter, money doesn't matter, go out there and take care of business every day. And the other runner that I hear that from endlessly in interviews and articles and in there whenever they're on camera is Eliud Kipchoge. He's constantly talking about just do this. I want to show everyone that nothing's impossible. Everyone can be better than they are do it for the right reasons. I want to inspire just no matter what hand you've been dealt. And you two have an interesting connection in that, you know, a decade ago, you predicted that the sub two hour marathon was not only possible, but should happen. And you actually had claimed like, I can do it. If anyone wants to sponsor me and let me live the life and train the way I need to, I can do this. You had a plan for it. You truly believed it. And there were very few other people on the entire planet that believed that A, you could do it, but B, that it could even be done at all. And the next time I heard someone talking about it was Elio Kipchoge. And he obviously just broke the two-hour marathon in a sterile test environment uh, a couple months back. But But you two speak the same way and you had that same utter belief that A, it's possible, and B, it will inspire everyone else to do something different. So what I, I'm curious to just hear... What were your thoughts and emotions when you saw him or heard that he had actually achieved what you were probably the only other person on the planet that truly believed was doable? I wasn't as emotional as I thought I might be about it. Um, maybe partly because it was so, you know, sterile, as you would say. Mm-hmm. But but still, you know, I, I, you know, I know what it takes to – the focus it takes to do something like that. You know, even though I haven't accomplished something that good, I've accomplished enough to know the focus that it takes. And, um, yeah, belief. You got to believe. It, do- it doesn't matter if you got the right training program. It doesn't matter if you got all the resources in the world to do what it is you want to do. If you don't believe you're going to accomplish something, you're probably not going to. You know, and you got to believe in other people too so they can go live their dreams. Um. You know, I just, I don't know, it all came down to just a confirmation of the power of belief, really. You know, it was, it was super impressive. Obviously, I was impressed by what he accomplished. But to me, it was more of a, yeah, sometimes you got to believe what other people don't believe in. And look, he's another guy that just proved. Yeah. If you believe, it is possible. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. It doesn't matter if they believe it or not. If you believe it. It can happen. You know, I was having this conversation with somebody today, actually, and and I was talking about interviewing you tonight. And I said, one thing I admire about Hobie is he calls his shots. Like he says, I am going to break the pull-up record. And if it happens or it doesn't, is irrelevant. And I was thinking about myself and saying, well, somebody says, how are you going to race in Jacksonville coming up? And I said, oh, we'll see how the injury is coming along and how I'm doing. And I'm all coy and about it. And 
and I realized that I admire somebody that says, I'm going to go and I'm going to win. I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. And I used to take that as like, like an undeserved arrogance. And now that I have more perspective, that's just belief. Like there's no shame in proclaiming what you intend to do. In fact, that's confidence. And if you don't have belief and confidence, then what are you even doing? And so you've been a good example, I think, of of how to look at things. And it's okay to sh- scream things from a mountaintop and say, I plan to go and do this. I think that's that's part of the psyche that's necessary to win. Do you agree with that? A hundred percent. Yeah, I think I think there's a uh, a fine line, but a very distinct difference between being confident and cocky. You know, I, I think I think it's great, and and people will tell you all the time if you have goals, you need to write them down. You know, and then even more powerful than that is proclaim your goals to people. You know, because they're a lot more likely to happen if you do that. And so to say I'm going to go do something amazing or awesome is not that's not cocky that's just being confident and that's making yourself accountable and yourself more motivated and that's a good thing. It only becomes cocky and rude if you're like I'm going to do it because I'm better than you or because you suck and I'm awesome. You know, if you start putting your self value against somebody else when you say something like that, then that's a bad thing. You know, but I don't my saying I'm going to win is by no means trying to take away from someone else's abilities or anything. I'm saying I'm, I'm going to work my butt off. I'm going to try to eat healthier than you. I'm going to try to do train smarter than you. I'm going to try to do it for longer than you. I'm going to try to do everything I can to be able to beat you. you know. And if I do, <clears throat> it's not because you didn't do amazing. you know. It's because I, I managed to actually be more amazing you know, in this particular moment. And But... Even more than that, as I would never want to try to keep someone else down. I like if I win a race against someone who didn't have a great day, then it's not as good of a victory, you know. And like I, but just before we did this, I was testing my earphones and I watched the 2019 NCAA Mile Indoor Championships, <clears throat> and the winner ran a 407 mile, which 407 mile for most people is pretty good for a, but for a NCAA Division one college championship race, that's pretty lackluster, you know. Yeah. And they're like, and the commentators like, who cares about the time? He won. That's all that matters. In my mind, I'm like, none of those guys ran well today. They were all running a bunch of chickens, you know. I want to see the guy who's going to take off a four minute mile pace and try to run a three fifty eight, you know. But none of them did. They all just wanted to win, even if they had to run slow to do it. And you know, so. You know, be confident, be bold. Um, but this doesn't have to do with the NCA thing. But <laughs> here's what I'm really trying to say: is as I want to see other people do well too. You know, and if I can, even better yet, if I can train somebody to beat me, that would be an awesome accomplishment. You know, if I go and do my best, but I trained you to do even better, that's great. So when I say I'm going to go win. By no means am I saying I'm a better person than anybody else. You know, I want I want them to do their best too. And if their best is even better than my best, I'll celebrate that too. You know, human achievement for everybody. That's that's what we should be after. And if doing your best is proclaiming to the world that you plan to do something awesome, you know, then that's a good thing. As long as you're not trying to tear other people down in the process. It's a pretty impressive stance to take, and it's an even more impressive one to live out despite low points. So we've kind of come to the end of our time here. So we're at, we're at the bell lap here. So 
anything you got left, Kirk, anything you got left you want to throw out here? It doesn't have to be anything related to what we've been talking about. Um, yeah, I got a, I got a, I got a left field question for you, Hobie. It's on topic, but you can choose to answer or not, but I'm curious if you were to put together like your Mount Rushmore of OCR athletes, the people that you kind of hold to a high accord, the ones that have your respect because they race gritty. They, if you were to put, and you can include yourself, you got four people, who would you throw up there as they kind of have your, they have your respect in this sport. Do you have it? People that come to mind. Definitely John Albin. Yeah. You know, he's he's kind of a quiet guy, or at least over here in America, he's kind of a quiet character, but he obviously trains his butt off 12 months of the year. He's out there killing it, and he races quite well. Yeah. Um, uh, Ryan Atkins. If, if, if I could be an athlete other than myself, I'd want to be a Ryan Atkins. The guy's just tough as nails. He can do anything. You know, he's not quite the fastest guy out there. So you get a fast course with fast people, he usually won't win. But he's right there. He's close. But he's yeah. got stamina that just never ends. You know, the longer the race, the more likely he's going to win. And, you know, you get those 24-hour ones, he wins them all. He never seems to die. You know, he gets a rare injury, but he recovers quick. And he can just go, 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 go. I would I'd love to be able to do that because you get me up those long endurance races, and I'm so beat at the end. It's amazing that I ever recover. <laughs> you respect his grind. <laughs> Um, a, the the right type of course is Hunter McIntyre. He he probably impresses me more than anybody. That a guy his size can do what he does cardiovascularly is just it, it's stunning. Every time you see it, even if you've seen it thirty times, it still stuns you. So yeah. Um, and then if I'm not picking myself, I'd have to say Cody Moat. Cody Moat's just a super cool guy, and you know at at our I'd have to say if everybody's having their best day on, on a kind of course that I like. Cody Moat's been the hardest guy to beat. On his you day, know? he's the hardest to beat. Yeah, yeah. If, if I'm having a really good day against Hunter McIntyre on one of my courses, my types of courses, I'm going to beat him, no problem. You know, give me a, give me a, my type of course really good day, I'm going to beat John Albin, I think. Although I haven't raced him enough to be 100% sure about that. Um, you know, Atkins, the same thing. My type of course, I think I've just got the speed edge on him. Um, Cody Moat, when he's having a really good day, even on one of my good days, he and then in our prime, he was probably the toughest guy to beat. You didn't put Bracken on your Mount Rushmore, Hobie. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, I haven't run a stadium. I haven't run a stadium. Lend my shoulder tonight. I haven't run a stadium race. Who knows? The, 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 no, <laughs> people could change at a stadium, I'm sure. Bracken if you looked at our more. records against each other with Hobie and I, there'd be a reason I'm not on his Mount Rushmore. Oh, shoot. I was I was that freshman JV kid who ran on the varsity kid's shoulder for the first mile or two of the 5K and then blew apart as he cruised down to victory. That was my career summary against Hobie. At least you tried. Yeah, went after it every time, but it didn't pan out. There are levels to this thing. Uh, Hobie, okay. what do you got? Any any uh, concluders? Anything uh, you want to wedge in there that you want the people to know? No, no, I think that was good. I could okay. talk more about my mile training, but I think we kind of hit that good enough. We don't have enough time to get into details anyway. So, well, Can I, I squeeze in one quick question? Just one quick one, then Bracken, I'll let you go. I just thought of something. Yeah. We were just talking about boasting about our – 
our intentions, our goals, our I'm going to do this. So what are you going to do in 2020, Hobie? I'm going to show that a 43-year-old can run a pretty decent mile time off of six months of training for it. Faster than any, any OCR guy. How's that sound? Ooh. Oh, Bracken, let's go to the track. A lot of, track OCR, lot of OCR trial. guys struggle to break five minutes, and even the faster guys probably aren't breaking four and a half. As far as I know. I don't Hobie, know. Last June, I ran, four, I ran 425 on the road last June, and I think I'm going to run 419 this year, 418. Nice. All right, so I'll, I'll run at least a 417. There you go. <laughs> we should get an OCR mile. That would be fantastic at sea level. See please. who's just got the foot speed. I think that's a good idea. You know what you're going to find yep. out? That I'm your NCAA guy. I'm going to hang in the weeds, and I don't care what time anyone else runs. I'm going to make it slow as I can, and then I'm going to try to close her down. <laughs> well, I'm not going to let it go What slow, an admirable way to race. I'm, I'm the guy who's going to take off at a 62. You better be ready for it. You led Man. the trials, didn't you? Didn't you take over the trials when no one refused when when no one I did. was accountable? They, yeah, they start yeah, everybody started really slow. And me and one other guy went out. We, I think we were in the lead for first four, maybe five miles, I think. Every year there's um, someone who says, he, All right, I'll he, be this guy. He was he was scared to death. He was constantly, Where is everybody? Where is everybody? Are we going way too fast? What's going on? And I was just like, Look at the clock. And filling it, and I'm like, no, we're good, man. They're just going slow. Trust me, they're going slow now. That just means they're going to go faster later. They're going to catch us. Don't worry. Just do your thing. Feel comfortable. Run with me. I'll, I'll, I'll lead it. I'm cool with that. You know, sooner or later they're going to speed up, and they're just going to, you know, go from extra slow to extra fast. Let's just hold this steady pace. We're good. We know what we're doing. So, no, I've, I've never, I've never really raced based on how other people are racing. I'm, I do my own thing. Yes, you do. I've got a, I've got a finisher here. I want to know if you're still training as a minimalist. Uh, when when you and I were back running the circuit together, shacking up in cheap hotel rooms with Josh Swanser and people like that, you were training in cross country flats. Your Brooks Mach, probably like the sixes back then or whatever they were. You were you were only running three times a week. You claim you were doing things on a minimalist level. Are you still wearing minimal shoes and still running? less than five times a week or are you trying to are, have you had to make up for some of that with age still running three times a week um yeah probably probably 10 miles a week maybe a running i don't know i haven't counted them but it's not very much so um, you're, you're all quality quality all about quality 100 percent. and are you yep. doing in addition to that i'm doing my upper body workouts still I think I'll probably start toning those down. We were doing it because I was training my son for the Kids World Championships mm -hmm. up until just a month ago. And so we're slowly going to transfer that over. But he wants to run the Kids World Championships next year too. So we won't change it very much, I guess. And what are you doing so, on your non-run days? Yeah, my non-run days are my upper body days. So, yeah. Run, legs run, are on the run days, uppers on the off days? Yep, exactly. And it actually, like 30 to it actually works really well because the upper body makes a great recovery for the leg day and leg days make great recovery for the upper body days. So that way you can kind of work out hard every day and not burn out. Same style upper body workout you used to do, 30 minute or so straight? Pretty much. Maybe maybe a little bit less, but not much, yeah. But yeah, I need to tone it down a little. My lats are way too big for a mile guy, so I got to... <laughs> 
I got to start doing less pull-ups so I don't have to carry too much extra weight. What are you weighing these days? Uh, I, I actually hit under 140 for the first time ever like two weeks ago. But usually what? I'm between 140 145. You 5'8", 5'9"? 5'8 and a half. 5'8 and a half, 140, 139? Yeah, that's my very lightest. Usually I'm closer to 145. Oh, what's your mile weight going to be if you're going to run 415? I got to at least get under 140, but I, I'd be surprised if I hit 135, though. I'm not going to quit doing all my upper body. I'm going to be a little bit bulky for a runner, but, you know, after watching Hunter, I'm not convinced that's as important as I used to think it was. He's a freak among freaks. So I think if you're doing the right training, if I'm carrying an extra five pounds, sure, I'm not going to run a 345, mm-hmm. but can I run a 415? I think so. Well, I, you know, I broke. If it's, if it's functional muscle you're carrying, if it's good weight, I don't think it, it's as much of a hindrance as people think. Bracken's been doing a lot of strength work. He's gained 10 pounds of just man muscle. He thinks it's going to bog him way down. He thinks he's going to be a slug. No way. I don't think so. I think I'm going to win the stadium world title this year. Nice. That's your uh, shot. Hobie, in terms of weight, now I'm I'm six foot, but I, I broke 420 at 170 pounds. So it would would that be my optimal myeling weight? No, I'd probably be 150 optimally, but I, I, I think you can run a f I, I don't see any reason why you can't run in the teens at that weight with a little extra muscle I agree. on you. Cool. I agree. Well, this is Hobie, if we put if we put one last question, if we put together a real mile, if you're doing this thing. If we put together an OCR mile, we said, hey, let's all get together here and let's do this thing and let's make it an event. Would you show up? Yeah. Bracken, yeah. would you show up? Absolutely. My we got to do, like, do it like early early May. I'm all about it. We got to work it into your peak schedule, huh, Hobie? When you're yeah, peaking right. in May, huh? Yeah, okay. Yeah. That is, that is <laughs> the, you know, that's the middle of track season. That's a good time to do it. Now... There is a mile on a track here. It's a, it's called the Wisco Mile. It's run at Wisconsin Lutheran Track. It's a night of miles. Everyone from five years old up to masters, everyone races a mile. There's like 30 different divisions throughout the night. It starts at like dusk. You run under the lights. It's usually right around the first weekend of June. If you can hold your peak a little while longer, we could all run the mile in Wisconsin. At that <laughs> temperature, at that time, it's going to be like, 68 or 70 under the lights when we run at night. Yeah, that sounds pretty nice. Well, let's let's see how the next few months go, and we'll. Yeah, but I'm all I'm all about the idea. I think it'd be fun. I think that's a good note to end on. We'll uh to be continued this one. Cool. Thanks for joining us, Hobie. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. The running public is brought to you exclusively by VJ Shoes. The shoes are off-road, trail training, and racing, bulletproof, and they have the best grip on the planet. Best grip on the planet. Hands down. Feet down. Feet down. Get yourself some.